Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Templeton Elliott, and I'm joined this week by Patrick Higongo and Mike Mudsenrider. We chat about Instagram, and then we suffer a memory lapse thanks to Alien Workshop. On Monday, Skateboarding's Clip Clearinghouse Instagram was down for six whole hours. Heads flocked to Twitter, Snapchat, and other niche networks to get their fix. This had us thinking about Instagram's place in the skateboard world. Mike, where would we be without Instagram? Yeah, I kind of hedged in the notes, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking now that skateboarding actually might be a little bit more interesting. I feel like Instagram is creating like a monoculture, kind of just like you can see everything from everywhere and it's all becoming the same in certain aspects. So I guess you could argue that we'd be a little bit better off in that argument. But then, then again, you know, it's, I don't know, we all grew up at a, at a, at a time when you just ached for whatever skateboard content you could get. And now it's, you know, a fire hose of content that's actually pretty great. And it is probably sparking progression still. I don't know. I think I, 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 I find myself on there sometimes on the dreaded explore page and just, you know, all the shit's the same and I do get burnt out on it. So I think that's what my point was to start things off. Patrick, are, are force for good, force for evil. Okay, so Facebook purchased Instagram in 2012. They purchased WhatsApp in 2014. There's a significant portion of the entire world that uses one or all of these three platforms for their access to the internet. That is their primary means of communication. All my immigrants and first-generation Americans definitely know, first-generation and immigrants anywhere know, you probably have at least two or three random WhatsApp uh, chats going with friends and family abroad. Um, and of course, there's Instagram and also Instagram's messaging platform. So if you have, uh, what, 70% of Facebook's current users living outside of the West, and there's about 3 billion people, 3 to 6 billion people who are using all of these platforms, that's a significant portion of the world that views these Facebook properties as the internet. Not just a site or an app that they use, but as the whole of the internet, their lifeline to the world. Six hours is a lifetime. Six hours is money that's not made. Six hours is communications that can't be made. Six hours is live streams that can't be done. Six hours is paid content that can't get posted. Uh, six hours is live chats that couldn't get, you know, that couldn't go down. And this has a direct effect on skateboarding because, you know, like Mike had pointed out, skating has really blossomed in Instagram. And in some ways it's problematic and some ways it's good. But if one platform is a clearinghouse, if it's the clip clearinghouse for all of skateboarding, and all skateboarding nostalgia and skateboarding's future, what does that mean when it goes down? And we got to see, we got a sneak preview. All of a sudden, none of that matters. So I guess for both of y'all, skating, you know, skating is one of the spaces in which there's always been an influencer culture. It's proto-influencer even. You open a skate magazine up in the 80s and 90s, you want to see what were people wearing, what were they talking about, what were they listening to, what kind of trucks they ride, what kind of wheels are on their board. Um, and now the whole internet looks like that, or rather all of Instagram looks like that. So what happens in a post Instagram world? We're living in a post MySpace world. And when MySpace was popping, like you didn't think that there was anything better. Yeah, I, I think that there's always at, at this point, there's always going to be something, some kind of social network, you know, whether it's Instagram or TikTok or whatever the next thing that, you know, somebody's cooking up in their garage right now. I think there's just always going to be that. Like you can't put the genie back in the bottle now that it's out. Because I think too many people like having that access, like having their own TV station basically where they they do the programming and they're the star 
and that kind of like uh, leveling of the playing field is what what gave us people like Arin or Marby Princess and also Wecking Ball. So it's like mm-hmm. you know we get a whole spectrum of of people, and I think for the most part it's a good thing. Um, but I also like that there are some some gatekeepers still around, you know, like if you get the nod from Thrasher, that means something, even even if you have a ton of followers, like having the Thrasher repost your stuff has got to feel good. I mean, so then here's a follow up question. What makes, you know, what's the thing that makes y'all the most, the both of you the most uncomfortable about skate Instagram? Like we know what we like. We love the nostalgia aspect of it. We love Chrome Ball Incident. We love, we love Bob Shirt. We love all of these. There's tons and tons and tons of accounts. You know, like skated the chillers, an entire account just devoted to people skating in non-skate shoes. You know, Air Maxes, Jordans. You know, things of that nature. But what is skateboarding doing wrong with Instagram? Like, what 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 do y'all think are having a negative effect on skate culture and skateboarding as a whole? I mean, I'll, I'll go on record and say I get tripped out on too much nostalgia sometimes within skating. Like, it seems to have ratcheted up with Instagram in that there is that easy access to all that stuff, you know, before, gosh, I, I you know, you go to the Chrome Ball site, you go to, uh, what was that, Police Informer? Am, mm-hmm. I, am I even remembering that right? You know, yep. this random handful of sites, and now it's like, get a you know, there's a niche for everything, you know, whatever trick you want, you can see, you know, switch backside flips i was following that one but they didn't have chad knights down uh the san diego double set so i had to unfollow but um where the hell was i going with that the nostalgia trips me out it's i i i want to see you know more more forward looking stuff but you know so much that's produced anymore doesn't act the same as some of the nostalgia that we're looking for you know we're seeing old ads and i don't know ads previously seemed more novel to me and we're you know seeking out i don't know Shit, where was I going with? It? I think, yeah, the the lean into video is a bit too much. You know, there's there's other aspects of skate culture that you can still pick up on Instagram, but you know, it's not all video. I don't think we want all video. You know, there's plenty of magazine culture, plenty of photo culture, plenty of you know, zine culture that is kind of left behind on it. Absolutely. I mean, God, that's a really good point. And Templeton, if you can make that a little bit more coherent. Uh, no, but like I'm just gonna let it rock. Point about the nostalgia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like on Instagram, like if you look at those old ads, they're they're laid out for a magazine. So there's lots of design. There's like small print, and there's just like mm-hmm. so much going on. And that sh- that shit just doesn't work on Instagram. And I feel like when when a present day brand is designing something, they're like, okay, this has to work on somebody's phone to like right. grab their attention while they're scrolling through the feed. Whereas those old ads were something that you'd spend a lot of time with, you know, like those old toy machine ads where there was just like tons of writing and you'd just be like following the line around, you know, whatever weird speech bubble that Ed Templeton drew and like you're reading some weird shit about loyal pawns and stuff. And that's what makes you be like, oh my God, toy machine's cool. They like said this subversive shit in tiny type on their ad. And then like, we just don't get that on Instagram. It's just like, big fisheye photo and a caption mm-hmm. mm. that's a great point shout out to ed templeton but then what about you know we i briefly touched upon the fact that there's huge chunks of the global population who rely on facebook and its subsidiaries as the whole internet 
So shout out to all the Ugandans who have built up uh, an entire uh, cult following on Instagram and to an extent on Twitter, showing off their DIY park in the capital city of Kampala. And what's frustrating is that through Instagram, that's really their only lifeline to the world in terms of providing coverage and interest. It is, you know, we're never mind the pandemic. It's kind of difficult to get, you know, a skate magazine out to someplace like Kampala. I mean, it's one thing to get up to North Africa, which is a quick hop away from uh, Southern Europe, but to get to a place in Sub-Saharan Africa that's not South Africa for skateboarding takes a little bit more logistical planning and keep a 100 a little bit more money. There's something yeah, I mean, Thrasher of- can't even get subscribers their magazine, you know, in a timely fashion. So how is it <laughs> going to get to fucking Africa before three, three other issues came out? True. But I guess, I guess like there's that thing, like there's that great advantage of being able to have this window into skate cultures that we probably never get to see. And I'm Ugandan, right? And I only found out about these kids building this DIY park via Instagram. It's not like my cousins were hanging out in the neighborhood where this was built. I mean, it would have taken a while to filter out to be Instagram. I'm just scrolling through all of a sudden. It's like, oh, they're skating back home. That's amazing. But it's frustrating too because you know when it's down for six hours that's a lifetime that's a lot that's a lot of time you know we all have experience working in digital media six hours for an outage for a platform where you spent a lot of money for ad space or time oh my goodness uh, i can't imagine what some people were going through on on monday but then um thinking about like the positive because i think a positive is getting exposure to skate cultures that we would never find out about in a print magazine even in a, in a very, very good blog. What are some of the positives that y'all have seen? Yeah, I think like you said, we get more of a global view of skateboarding and it, it lets those global rippers be stars, whereas you know, they'd be relegated to like the international team in like the VHS era. So I, I think it's rad that, that those international skaters who are rippers are getting the recognition that they deserve. And then people outside of the like, white cis male um demographic are also getting some shine you know like i think it's rad that there's just more different kinds of people skating Mm -hmm. and we're seeing that on instagram and more people see that and they they can see themselves in those people and be like yeah i can i can be a skater too so i think it's open skateboarding up a lot yeah i i I definitely absolutely enjoy seeing the more obscure is not the right word but yeah the folks that aren't going to get that mainstream coverage. And I mean, I have a tendency not to follow a lot of pro types and try to, I mean, follow friends and follow your errands and, uh, you know, Marbies and just people that are more interesting than the standard pro type, I guess. Yeah. I don't follow a lot of pros either. I feel like Instagram is not really how I want to consume skateboarding. It just like, I'd much rather watch like a five minute edit on YouTube and like, sit down and watch it on my laptop screen but maybe that's just like antiquated what about you patrick do you follow a lot of pros um i follow a d- decent amount but it's a lot of uh, legacy pros uh one of my favorite accounts is uh john drake who uses skate for alien workshop who we're going to mm. talk about in just a sec but what's weird is that instagram has revealed how at best ignorant some pros are and at worst like actually like racist transphobic sexist ableist like all these horrible things like it's almost like it, it pulled back the curtain just a little bit too much and you realize like damn the wizard is tripping that, that like that's tough like you know 
on Slap, you know, it's not like you would see this window into these people's lives. Instagram, I mean, we've hinted at it a couple times on uh, the last few episodes. Just talk about like how wildly problematic of a space Instagram is for some current and former pros. And we don't really have the tools as a community or an industry, whatever the hell you want to call this thing, uh, to really be able to deal that, to deal with that, to address it and to be able to discuss it. It just kind of all ends up in this weird feedback loop. It's just like, I don't know. In some ways, it's cool to sometimes even connect with some pros and filmers and photographers. Actually, I'd say the filmers and the photographers, I think, have the most interesting presence on Instagram because they got those archives and they got the stories. Yeah, shout out to the media folks. They're mm-hmm. often the most interesting people in the room in skateboarding. Yeah, by a, by a country mile. <laughs> and, and it's... It's cool when, although it is cool when there are pros who are pack rats, you know, they collect a lot of things. So they break out stuff that they've been holding on to for decades now. Yeah, it was like that thing. I think Transworld used to do that where, um, or no, Skateboarder, like uh, they would just like go in people's garages and, you know, they'd pull out some old boards and be like, yeah, this was like fucking Cookiehead Jenkins board that he won the 87 pool blast on or whatever <laughs> random shit. So then the, it begs the question, is Instagram or is, is skate Instagram overloaded with nostalgia? And what would y'all say is the biggest difference between, say, skate Instagram and most beloved skate Twitter? I mean, skate Twitter is small. And that that's like skate Twitter feels like your hometown skate scene. Like we all kind of know each other. And even if like I'm not following this guy or that guy or whatever, it's like that's like the person that I see at the park and we nod at each other or whatever, like we'd have a quick chat on the deck. So I think that's, that's what's different with, with skate Twitter. And then Instagram is just like the vast world of skateboarding. Right. Right. Yeah. I can't think of ever really seeing any, I don't know, discussion of interest on Instagram where, you know, played out every, every now and then you'll, you'll, you'll see something interesting on there. But the fact of the matter is people love just like flame emojis and that's, the level of discourse yeah send it bro it's so sick like it and, and that's an inch i mean you brought up the feedback loop on there and i mean yeah that is that is the discourse you know what oh thrasher posts a thing you put three emojis on there it's, i don't know instagram's plenty annoying <laughs> but then like back to the question of like the outage and you know we've talked a little bit about how disruptive that is um especially for you know folks are trying to make a living Magazines are trying to make money. Skaters are trying to make money. What about like the rise of the Instagram-sponsored skater? Like, folks who are basically, they're getting clout because they got a huge amount of Instagram followers. Uh, regardless of where they rank in ability, they've got a personality that on social media and people are following them. They're checking out their skating. They're, you know, they've, you know, they've got fans. You know, like, that's what happened like what happened to all of those people who like they've got it down to a science if not actually on a, a timed program about when to post like they're actually optimizing the way that they engage with people across social it feels like the skate media like the very formal skate media hasn't quite figured out how to what to think yeah it's almost like there's multiple different worlds of skateboarding you know you got your youtubers you got your instagram pros and you got your legacy pros the the pros that get the nod from mainstream skateboard media and the people who don't it's pretty weird but i think i think for the most part i think it's good 
Like what's weird is that um, you know you mentioned like YouTube pros. Like I always think about Ben DeGross, who talks about uh, setups and the madness, and you know has a nice frontside flip. Like I feel like that dude should be getting hooked up. I I would love for him to be. I don't know if he's on Instagram. His videos are probably a little bit too long, but he's awesome. I actually really like. I really like his content. He's probably my favorite YouTube skater. It is difficult to keep up with all the kids, and they are kids. Like they're young. Who are holding it down on Instagram, and it feels kind of it feels kind of weird because um, you know there was a the whistleblower from Facebook who did Senate testimony earlier in the week on Tuesday, the day after the outage, talking about how addictive uh, Instagram is, how Facebook knowingly or not just allows a lot of the bad shit that is associated with their platform to happen. The fact that um, it has a seriously damaging influence on especially young women's self-esteem and body image issues. Um, skateboarding is just a reflection of mainstream culture and, and the rest of the world. So these things are happening in skating too. You know, you're getting kids who are probably getting, you're getting kids who are blowing up on Instagram with receiving significantly more attention than say like a Billy Waldman or a Guy Mariano or any of the teenage prodigies that were in the 1990s. Like those kids, like these kids can see the numbers in real time. They can see their influence. I think for Guy Mariano, probably didn't hit until you know he went on his first couple tours and started selling boards and actually started getting checks. These kids are seeing the money in real time. They're getting DMs. They're getting uh, maybe they got like a cash app thing. You know, they're getting products. They they see the numbers going up. It's very 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 addictive and. You know, how do you address that? Like that—that's a whole other challenge for pro skateboarding. That these kids now un have an understanding of how big they actually are. Yeah, it's the wild west, and I, I feel like it probably gives those kids a little bit more power. I feel like the skateboard industry in the past has kind of known more than the kids know about their worth and can exploit that. Where I think now kids can probably. Uh, have a better idea of their value and can make sure that they're being compensated properly. Yeah, that's a good point. But <laughs> you now have a space in skateboard culture where you're having people speaking more openly about mental health and transparency and just kind of what their lives are actually like as opposed to that sort of very shallow 411, hey, what's up? Check it out. We're going to go skate some spots and get burritos. But it still doesn't feel like skating is grappling with how destructive social, you know, social media can be. Well, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, on the flip side of just being a kid coming up, trying to get into skating, and it's all there. It seems like it'd just be overwhelming. I mean, it doesn't appeal to me thinking about like, you know, my formative years and then having all of that in your hand at any given time and just all that. I don't know seen so much of it, seen the different strains of it, it's too much. Yeah, it's got to be a, a tough thing to navigate, like just how much time do you spend on Instagram and who do you follow and all that shit. I know I spend way too much time on Instagram and I was thinking about it this morning. I think I'm addicted to Instagram because I look at it <laughs> and I'm like, I don't even like this. Like this isn't even fun, but I feel like I need to look at all this stuff. And it's not yeah. even like, it doesn't even like get me stoked or anything. I'm just like, scrolling mindlessly yeah like i'll end I mean, up on the explore yeah. page watching random like fucking heavy machinery that fell into a ditch i don't know why like i watched three of those videos and now like my whole explore page is that so it's fucking weird 
Wow. <laughs> Actually, maybe if you all want to take out your phones if they're nearby, what, what shows up on your Explore page? Oh, man. Yeah, like I said, for me, it's like heavy machinery that fell into a ditch, bike stuff, and some skating. But like when I see park skating, I'll like mark it as like, don't show me this. So like, I don't get a lot of the like random, like viral park shit, because I just hate it. <laughs> but the algorithm, you know, thinks that I should like it. Right. But I've taught it to show me heavy machinery that fell into a ditch instead. I've got bike stuff, shoes, skating, like random movie stuff. I don't know. Some Let's nostalgia, see. 90s. What you got, uh, Patrick? All right. Uh, Damon Albin from Blur. A lot of soccer. Um, a lot of exercise and fitness. Uh, nice. Guitar pedals. Skincare. A <laughs> uh, lot of running. Like, Jesus, a shitload of running, actually. And uh, a picture of uh, Big Ronaldo from Brazil, Ronaldo Nazario. And uh, Cristiano Ronaldo from Portugal. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's 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 kind of weird. Yeah, but you know we you know we do a skateboarding podcast. Unfortunately, this is part of the game. You know, is there any way to be a skateboarder and be for real, for real, not engaged with social media when so much of skating is happening on social media? I think it would be tough and probably lonely. You know, like. That's where I get a lot of my, like, hanging out, talking about skating time. You know, it's on Skate Twitter, where it's like we talk about whatever the latest shit is. And sometimes it's an Instagram edit or something that's some some dumb shit that some pros said. So I I think it would be weird to be without social media completely. What do you think, Mike? Well, I think, you know, Instagram's absolutely kind of the center of skate media universe i was looking and thrasher has 6.9 million followers on ig and less than half of that on youtube wait how many 6.9 million followers nice thrasher on ig oh nice (laughs) and then it's yeah and then it's like two two something million on youtube subscribers wise so you know it's kind of unavoidable and i mean I, i i i feel like i've been on a down note about about it most of the time but like you know Keeping up with friends, um, I still love my Minneapolis Clips page. Shout out, uh, I'll keep him anonymous, but thanks for keeping the Minneapolis Clips coming. I mean, there's there's plenty of upside, and, and it is good, you know, just for keeping up with, with what people are doing. Uh, I feel like I'm going to shoehorn this in here just because it never really came up organically. On the money involved and on, you know, the amount of that people will pay for a certain look on there, um, I know we've probably seen like those Tyshawn Jones edits where it's like, you know, vertical phone, skate clips, party clips, whatever, you know, chilling clips, all that set to a song probably. According to a source, you can pay up to like $6,000 to get one of those made by a thrasher. And I can't remember the exact filmer. I'm like 99% sure I can remember the filmer, but I can't for sure remember it. So I'll just leave the name out. But like, you know, if you want one of those party edits, a couple grand, dude will come out shoot it on his phone, whip up the edit, and then you got, you got your marketing. That is wild. <laughs> it's it, funny because it, I've seen those edits. Like I saw, I saw somebody had that edit on their page, a pro, and then it popped up on Thrasher like the same day or the next day. And I was like, this seems a little too coordinated. And yeah, I imagine that that's like, you know, there was some, some kind of deal, some kind of exchange of goods happening. Yep. But wild to hear that the, the dollar figure is so high. 
I don't know. It's probably like a vibe, and then just like, oh, you know, you need to pick something that's like it's got to be just SoundCloud enough. Like, I really want this. Like, I want a strong Tyshawn feel, but I also want that Kevin Bradley energy. Mm. Person looks at you, is like, all right, got you, got you, homie. Give me like two days. I wonder. Yeah, it might. In, maybe that includes the airfare to get out there. I, it's always crazy. Six thousand is a lot of money. Like, <laughs> well, it's fun, man. You get into ad rates, and it's commiserate. You know, it's. It's about the same. I just I guess I'm thinking of like print ad rates, but it's probably yeah, but really good value. Oh, I mean, yeah, get yourself up on the Thrasher page, six point nine million eyes, and you're doing great. See, and we all have experience working in digital media. So I think one thing that's really important to point out is that this is work work. And I remember when I first moved out to LA seven years ago, I remember there were all kinds of companies that were trying to underpay, like underpay, underpay for social media, like social media right. marketing uh, jobs. And I don't think that they realize, I think that there, it's like probably a combination of like a training golf and like an employment golf. This is people who just do not understand how much work it is to manage a social media presence, maintain posts that are within the company voice or the organizational voice, coming up with content that is you know formatted correctly and looks good across platforms. And ultimately just like, making stuff that's not corny that's really hard that requires for real for real expertise oh my god yes i mean my former job as a collision repair trade magazine editor i mean social you know they'd, they'd want us doing social too and it's if you want if you want to do a good job at it you need someone doing it full time that's their only point of attention absolutely absolutely and and the big difference too is that um you know we all remember when Cable access was nuts, where all kinds of stuff was on cable access. But you don't remember like the, the low budget local cable commercials for car dealerships and psychics and things like that, and just how absolutely trash the production value is. And now it's like, unless you are explicitly going for that aesthetic, like people can tell, like people want something, you know, their, um, the streaming platforms that they use for watching TV and watching sports look slick. The sites that they visit looks like the social media uh, apps that they use are slick. You can't be coming here and you know making something that looks like 1997. I feel like it's a fine line because like the trend now is to have it look like not look too slick, not look too produced, not look too much like a commercial. We want to make it look real and make it look user generated. So you gotta, but you gotta have it look quality. So it's like a fine line that you gotta gotta walk to get the right feel. You know those those like what we're calling Taishan style edits, they feel, they don't feel overproduced. They feel very organic. They feel like a day out skating with the homies. But, right. you know, there might be like a storyboard involved and, you know, several like, thousand all right, dollars. All right, so check, we're going to go to In-N-Out, okay? Then we're going to go to Hollywood High. Should we do it the other, other way around? Uh, let me know, guys. Yeah, there's a deck, there's a creative director. <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> Some dude in cargo own. pants. <laughs> <laughs> I aspire to creative direct a Tyshawn style edit for a Thrasher one day. <laughs> and just like once more, but a little bit more feeling this time. A little yeah. bit more oomph. You got to send it. Okay. Right. Shot, shot on that beer again. Shot on that beer again. <laughs> Get a freshie. Oh <laughs> but I mean, we laugh, but these, these jobs exist. Oh, yeah, totally. My job is social media. It's pretty weird. <laughs> Very weird. Well. Things were a lot different back in the day. Alien Workshop gave us a look at how the world was 
in their new Memory Labs feature on Thrasher. First episode is Raw Files from New York in 1999 with Dill, Pops, Wenning, Kalis, and Pat Corcoran. Patrick, uh, what got you and Mike so stoked on this? Because I was a little uh, underwhelmed. All right, so if you grew up anywhere in the New York suburbs, so Jersey, Westchester, Rockland, or Long Island, Papalardo and Wenning coming onto the scene was an absolute game changer. In fact, I think you can draw a direct line from their arrival in sponsored skateboarding uh, through to like uh, Justin White, uh, Tristan Smith, and eventually over to like Paul Young and all the bronze kids, everybody like that. They were massive. And I think it's amazing too because if you think back to when there was that huge change over at Alien Workshop. You know, they dropped Time Code in 1997, which in retrospect now stands as a bit of anomaly in their catalog because it's the least polished and it's the least workshoppy compared to, say, Memory Screen or subsequently Photosynthesis. And all those people got the boot from the team after Time Co- after the tour for Time Code. So Scott Conklin, Thomas Morgan, John Drake, Bo Turner, Lenny Kirk all got the boot. Uh, Bo Turner talks about this in his Chrome Ball interview. And, you know, you got Dill, Ave, Papalardo, and Wenning, and Pat Corcoran, and Workshop kind of went from being a company that was dangerously, like, was, was like, where, like, its visual cool factor was not quite matching up with the skating. No disrespect to any of those guys who were on the team, but apparently it was a decision that came from above, and there was just, like, a kind of feeling like, y'all ain't doing enough, or not filming enough. Like, they were all certainly skating, um, and apparently there was, like, some footage that got lost, but... To see the seeds of what became photosynthesis and getting a good refresh of that time, like Dill, like look at Dill, like Dill's career should not have gone the way that it did, you know? He got kicked off 101, part Captain Trilogy, kicked off 101, went to Fit CEO Wheel Company, was like uh, smoking woolies in San Francisco, turns up in New York, and like New York Dill was born and Workshop Dill, it was amazing, like what? He had the endurance photosynthesis. It was amazing. It was a brilliant reinvention of the company. I mean, like, Mike, like, how did you feel watching this? Like, for me, it was just like that rush of like, oh, okay, I remember. Like, it was a huge deal when Alien Workshop made that change and all that new talent came on and they were good. Yeah, man, I actually agree with Templeton that the clip itself is underwhelming <laughs> for, for what I thought it could be to what it at is in practice. Like, Dill trying for way too long that whatever line at that non-spot. Cool. However, I fully agree with you. Like, what was that? Yeah, I graduated from high school in the year 2000. So, like, skating was the be-all, end-all at that time. And I do remember, like, Wenning and Papalardo being dudes my age, effectively, skating the way I wanted to skate, dressing the way I dressed. You know, it was, like, the most relatable thing ever. And then being, you know... Trilogy aficionados, Dill in the mix, kind of already knew Van Anglin was dope. It's just like the impression, the the way that skateboarding is impressed on me, like instantly made me want to talk about this. And um, yeah, it just comes down to winning in Papalardo for the most part. It's interesting. A lot of that, that stuff in that clip, a lot of it's not in any of those videos. Uh, excuse me. A lot of it's not in photosynthesis. Like it was too early on for those dudes. But uh, yeah, I should note too that nobody has ever done nose grind pop-outs better than that duo. 
No, absolutely wedding, not. Wedding did the absolute best. Oh, for they, sure. They, they turned up the pressure on New York City skateboarding um, and Philly to an extent too. Because yeah, Castle and Zoo York were good, but Papalardo and Wedding were West Coast good skating New York City. And that was a game changer. And that's why those guys had the career run when those two hit their imperial phases, respectively, as, as sponsored skaters, uh, they were untouchable. Like They were 100 miles ahead of everybody else in the greater New York area. Uh, and they were visible. And they had amazing pants. But Templeton, like, what was it about this that made you feel like, eh. I don't know. I mean, I, I felt like it, it just didn't like add that much to me. Like, I was just like, okay, yeah, like, I don't know, like, I'm not, I'm not like a big nostalgia person. I feel like we kind of like talked a lot about this on yeah. the, the Raw Files episode. But yeah, like when I first watched it, I like couldn't make it through the first line like section. I was just like, this is so fucking boring. I'm out of here. And then you guys were like, we need to talk about this. And I was like, okay, I'll watch the whole thing. And it like, it, it was like a cool nostalgia hit. But to me, like my main takeaway was like, Oh my god, like the editing and photosynthesis was so good and like made all this shit iconic. You know, like if this footage had ended up in another video with another company, it could have been forgettable or like it wouldn't have had the impact that it did. But because this footage was in photosynthesis, it's it's iconic and it's important. So then the question, you know, that begs the question, has there been a duo uh, have there been any like, has there been like a young duo or a young crew that's come out that's had the same sort of hit? I know that, um, I remember some years back, uh, Transworld had a piece on, was it Tristan Funkhauser and Bobby DeKaiser? Did those guys hang out together or was it just they were on the same team? But I know they were trying to paint them as like, oh, these are going to be the new Young Bucks. And they Wasn't turned out to be great. Two? I feel yeah, like they, those like, two like don't have any, like, anything in common. Like, were they both on DC? I don't know, like there was something, there was, um, I seem to remember that there was, uh, it was like a joint feature or something like that. And I wasn't quite sure, there was something about that felt like, in retrospect, now maybe there was something about that seems forced, but has there been a dynamic duo that's, that's hit the same way as Pops and Wedding or Dylan Ave? Like, they jump on the scene, you're just like, yo, I need to dress like this, I need to skate like this. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but I, I feel like these two are, are like a singular phenomenon. Because they, they, like, came up together and, you know, they, they pushed each other and made, made each other who they are, you know? There's got to be some it. other duos similar. Well, yeah, I don't know if there's that young duo, though. You know, there's something... I think, Patrick, you made a great point by being, like, they were Cali good skating in New York, which was very different. Because, yeah, all due respect to, like, your... Uh, ah, what's this New York video with the rappers in it? <laughs> <laughs> Why am I breaking on this? You're going to forget about mixtape? Mixtape, mixtape. Mix the disrespect, the slander. Mixtape is a vibe, but you're not, you know, even at the time, it was like that skating was like B class. Let's be real. Yeah, you know? for sure. Wow. Yeah, wow. Wow. Come on. I, I don't think that's that controversial to say. It's a vibe. It's dope. This Anthony Korea is probably the most skilled skater in that video. I'm furious right now. I'm just like, I'm turning red in the face. Okay. I mean, I'm just saying like Wenning and Papalardo, <laughs> they, up, they, they changed the game, you know? You, I you mean, you're right. They did. <laughs> you don't have all the dope shit coming out of New York City without those guys. Or, it, you know, is in a different form. But I don't think, you know, the game gets leveled up as it did. Well, they, they, were, they were also suburban kids. 
I think that was the big one, you know, Wenning is from Jersey, Papalado's from Long Island. So a lot of us who grew up in the inner ring suburbs were just like, oh, snap, right? And there were definitely people that I knew who knew them and had skated with them and skated Newport and South Street Seaport with them. It was, um, it was huge. It was incredibly influential. And I think it's also worth like going back to, because Mixtape came out in 97, if I recall. And 97 was kind of a weird year in skating because it, like, it felt like a transition year. World got sold, you know, the A-team started, you know, Nadas went over to Element and Rocco sold Plan B to Danny Way and Colin McKay, which uh, Danny Way talks about in the Nine Club interview. And that's a fascinating story that's definitely worth checking out. And it, what's interesting is like looking back on 97, if you really want to say it, maybe the most important video that came out that year was Cigar City by Josh Stewart because it introduced us to his world and his style of filming and uh, his kind of visual storytelling and skating, which, you know, he went on to do so much, including Sabotage and now doing theories and running a distro company. But at the time, like... I think when... you meant Static, not Sabotage. Oh, yeah. Excuse me. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pay $10 into the Damaris jar. Um, <laughs> but no, like, oh, yeah, round one, uh, Rodney versus Day One came out that year. But yeah, like, Josh Stewart is... You know, that's what came out of that, like that East Coast, like that new and different flavor. And I don't know, like, I wonder what would have happened to Workshop if they didn't have that huge shakeup and that lineup change. Um, I think know, it was we, essential, you know, like photosynthesis is what cemented them. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's overhyping the best uh, video ever made. But <laughs> yeah, I, I think that, uh, yeah, it was essential to, to like get rid of, have the skating live up to the brand which i think time code did not do time with time time code was rushed admittedly i think a lot of people who were involved in the video who had a couple parts like going back to bo turner's point said you know we had a bunch him and uh scott and lance conklin had filmed a bunch of stuff and apparently they got uh car got jacked and the video camera was in that car and they lost the tapes which is awful uh what a miserable feeling to lose that kind of um that kind of creative content and a theft uh, definitely have been there. But, you know, you have to wonder, like, if those changes didn't happen at Workshop, would, like, a Kalis have gone someplace else sooner? Probably. Deer, Deer Deck was going to be okay no matter what, um, wherever he went, especially with um, him being on DC. But maybe that's, like, the big question mark is, you know, works like, this video, like, this snippet of, you know, this snippet of uh, photosynthesis era skating it's beautiful, like this plus the, from issue 30 of 411, the Alien Workshop industry section, amazing. Like, what a window into like a very, very cool company reinventing itself in real time. Uh, and it was like a, actually like a privilege. Like, what are some other companies that have leveled up, switched the lineup, and like all of a sudden you're just like, damn, I'm gonna peep this video. Start buying some of their boards. Mm. The machine's done it multiple times, it feels like. Yeah, that's a good point. Which, oh yeah. Which, which one's which one's the video with Trapasso's breakout part? Is that good and evil? No. Stuff for, for the joy. For the joy. Yeah, I remember. I think I reviewed that video for. Did I review that video for the skateboard mag? Can't remember if I wrote that up. But like that whole thing, that that string of toy machine videos was really good. But like the Trapasso part and other stuff in there, I remember being just like shocked by how good it was. Because I don't know, didn't they? That you know, the whole team quit. It feels like multiple times on Ed. So yeah, it's like yeah, what, every other so. year. But like the first couple of times it happened, mm -hmm. my goodness, like the leap from heavy metal to welcome to hell to a jump off a building. My God. 
what a run with completely different teams, totally different vibes. Was it Kevin Kevin Barnett who made a lot of those good 2000s toy machine videos? Mm-hmm. Shout out that dude. Mm-hmm. I liked his stuff. Yeah, because like work also workshop like because uh, Mike, you and I are the same age. Uh, workshop when we were in high school. Actually, no, when we were in junior high, it was cool because of the alien shirts. By the time we got to high school, uh, nobody was rocking workshop boards. Like there was something about them, and that's like a, a couple years. You to go from junior high to high school, and all of a sudden, people are not rocking those boards anymore. Like a lot of kids started writing Birdhouse. Um, you definitely like a lot of New York, and so yeah, Alien Workshop got a real comeback amongst the people that uh, I was skating with by by like ninety nine two thousand. Uh, was that the time when they had them white dip boards? Yep, yep. Yeah, I had a Ooh. I had a green dipped Kalis board, which was Ooh. far too steep. So it's like literally the only workshop I ever had, but. I remember kind of thinking it was kind of cheesy. You know, you see them, you see the boards in CCS and there's kind of like a, there was a mainstream element to it where it was like really something that you could see not being, it didn't feel like it was fully inside skating, even though all that stuff now is like obviously iconic to me, but um, oh, time code. I, w- I watched a lot of time code and it grew on me, but yeah, I mean, again, photosynthesis, Templeton, you slyly said it's the best video ever made. I could probably discuss that, but uh... yeah, but you're right because like those, um, like the Spectrum board, the Missing Link Alien Workshop board, television is the new god. By like '97, '98, those were starting to feel like the sort of things that you'd see a quote-unquote alternative kid on some stupid TV show or on MTV right. or a right. band that's terrible, and it was just like it was becoming like a, a joke. Um, yeah, it was like, kind of headed it, in like a, an element direction, like a mall brand kind of thing. Oh yeah, they they like kind of pulled it back back to the core somehow. And I I think maybe it was this team change and making the best video ever that uh you know righted the ship at least for. Mm-hmm. A I long know time. I said I couldn't skate the Kalis shape. It was just too friggin' deep dish. Did like okay, Templeton, you've now said it twice. Did did you ride a bunch of alien boards at that point? I did. I did ride a pretty good number of alien boards i remember having like a six ply danny way alien board at one point Whoa. i kick flipped over a fence on that thing had like a scott conklin slick definitely had some of those dipped boards i think mine were like the fluorescent green dip boards so I, i've ridden a lot of workshop boards for sure the puppet Attica? series was cooler the puppet series was actually dope but unfortunately the ones with the aliens were the ones that that sold a lot that a lot of kids were wearing and, and unfortunately like you got called a poser if you're if you're rocking workshop with a lot of kids i grew up with so a lot of folks just stop stop doing that and they were also like cooler companies like like marinate on this there was a period where foundation was doper than workshop amongst the kids i grew up skating rolling with. thunder rolling <laughs> thunder was ill frank hirata dude <laughs> like but yeah like workshop like and that video it, it, there was something about it just it felt unfinished, you know. It's um, you know, going back to last week's discussion of a uh, teacher metaphor. You know, you feel like you'd hand it back to the student, and just be like, "Do better." For well, which time they code, did. Means? Yeah, for time code, photosynthesis was like, uh, you could teach the class now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, time code's like two point five good parts, maybe. I don't know. Kayla's complained Lenny a bunch Kirk. of stuff was poached. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, for four one one, a bunch of it is in the chaos section of issue twenty, like. That was like a regular complaint uh, of a lot of skaters. Then was just like you'd have to ill footage, video take forever, ends up in a four one one. Now 
this is where Instagram comes in. People can remember that. Yeah, I feel like also there was just an evolution of skate videos in general and it kind of peaked with photosynthesis or like it got everything got wrangled and everything fell into place with photosynthesis and you know maybe there was just like a little bit more tighter control and maybe they had filmers that were on staff that weren't going to leak the footage to 411 or something didn't need that 25 a clip or whatever right <laughs> i was like no nah, i'm good i'm on uh i'm on retainer dog <laughs> you got clips in 411 templeton never got a clip in 411 i was on retainer with you the were... workshop though Ah, shit. Insider. Dang, yeah. inside information. Did you ever sell a clip to 411? No. Yeah, never. No, no dealings with 411. Original question. Got it, got it. I, I got a slam in the credits. Oh, Sick. work? It's like what issue, what issue? issue 57, I want to say, because they had on the bonus disc. I mean, basically DVD 411 isn't really canon in my mind. But um, they did a third layer spot check. So this must have been 2003. And obviously, I, I worked there at the time, and like, you know, it was easy to get some footage and be in that. Strangely enough, they put me, um, they misspelled my name, and then they gave me two other names that definitely aren't my name. James Whitehouse, and I'm forgetting the other one. But yeah, it was a bizarre experience. And then, yeah, I did get a slam in the credits. I hope you use those names for uh, doing illegal things. James Whitehouse is pretty well known. People sometimes dredge that one up for me. <laughs> is, James, is James Whitehouse James an actual person and they got things mixed up or did they just make that up? They pulled it out of thin air. There's, there, there's other misnamed people in that section. Incredible. Yeah. And I'm hoping I'm remembering 411.57 correctly. I'll, I'll, I'll get you the link, Templeton. The yeah. The fact that you can remember falling on after issue 30 is incredible. Well, they all kind of blur together for me after that. I mean, 30, 30 was has water. the iconic in workshop industry section. Oh, that was so good. Which I, I tweeted, the I randomly came upon that, you know, late night YouTubing. That section's better than the cinematographer project section, which I've never liked. Damn, that's a hot take. That, <laughs> you that's a pretty hot take. I, I think it probably is better, but I also think that cinematographer project is incredible. And I think that that's like the last great alien piece of media. See, I've never liked that section because the song is bunk, the editing's plotting. I don't know. It's too much. It's like parody of an alien workshop edit. Like it's trying too hard. Interesting. I've always liked <laughs> it's it. It's always Wow. I've always looked at it as an example of how strong Alien's brand is that they've gone through at that point that's probably like the third or fourth editor of major Alien productions and it all feels the same. So I've always yeah. thought I've always liked that. So it's interesting that you you feel like it's too like a parody of itself. It, it well and it probably you could probably attribute 80% of it to that song, which is just something that, I don't know, it doesn't get you hyped. I have some pretty simple ground rules. Oh, but although then, if we're talking about songs, what's weird is that the soundtrack to Time Code is incredible. And yes, that includes Lenny Kirk skating to a children's gospel choir. Uh, I love that part, by the way. <laughs> that part's incredible. Yeah, that's a powerful <laughs> part. I love that Kayla's part, too. It's, it's short, it's I, I wonder if it's like, you know, like uh, California has a lot of, because um, I'm reading... Paul O'Connor's book, uh, Skateboarding and Religion. And um, I haven't quite gotten to the part where he talks about um, California skate culture and mega churches and things like that. But man, 
I can imagine there must be like some like skate preacher who's like an ex-pro or ex-sponsored skater who's like, we're going to watch something today that's really going to inspire you and make you want to walk in the ways of the Lord. His name is Lenny Kirk. Brian Sumner. <laughs> pulling up Lenny yeah. Kirk. Right. I, I can't do a Scouser accent, but he, he's mostly lost his Liverpoolian accent. So, you know, I can picture like, a, like, like the youth pastor just being like, you need to check this out. This is Lenny Kirk. He's saved and he's skateboarding. It could be you. <laughs> walk in the light, children. Escape hell. <laughs> Quit spinning. <laughs> oh man, I know we're all be stoked if we uh, manage to escape hell. <clears throat> fuck, fuck that up. <laughs> that was amazing. Uh, I know we'll all be stoked if we manage to escape hell uh, when the time comes. Which brings us to the end of our show, where we talk about what we're stoked on. <laughs> Patrick, what are you stoked on this week? Okay. <laughs> Meeting. <laughs> I'm trying not to laugh because now I'm thinking about what's that song uh, from the end of Liquid Swords, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. <laughs> I'm stoked on Spitfire Wheels, but um, I'm thinking a lot about pictures of Guy Mariano in that Spitfire One shirt from the Video Days era. I can't believe Video Days is, what, 30 years old? Dang. I'm stoked on Keith Denley going pro for hops uh, and skating to Sade. That's a great... That, man long overdue and well-deserved. The New Yorker just dropped a video about Joe Buffalo, a First Nation skater from Canada, and his experience being sent to a residential school, basically concentration camps for First Nations people uh, to erase, um, what was it, uh, the slogan was, kill the Indian, save the child. Basically, it uh, was a way to detach these children from their families and erase their language, their culture. Um, everything, every aspect of their heritage. It's pretty harrowing, and he's he's been doing a lot of interviews and conversations about that, and as we come up on uh, Indigenous Peoples Day, it's definitely a worthwhile watch. Uh, sports news, I'm stoked that France came back from being two behind Belgium at the half to beating them 3-2. Uh, Dodgers with the walk-off home run to beat the Cardinals. Knicks won this week, preseason basketball, but uh, we won't discuss the Yankees. Mike, what are you stoked on? <laughs> I am stoked on the bad art friend story from the New York Times magazine that came out this week and had people talking about kidney transplants and uh, whatnot on Twitter. I tried to give a synopsis of the story to my wife last night, and she said she had no interest in reading it, so I won't try to do it here. But if you haven't read Bad Art Friend, remind me of certain aspects of skateboarding. So um, definitely worth checking out. Uh, I got past my kickflip yips, which were plaguing me yesterday after realizing that I hadn't been skating enough. Also got a better handle on blunts to fakey skating. So doing those with minimal pain. I'm glad about that. And uh, to echo Patrick, I am stoked on the return of Anthony Edwards and the Minnesota Timberwolves. I will claim on tape here that I'm buying an Ant Edwards jersey this season or some sort of commemorative edwards gear templeton what are you stoked on i am stoked on stickers i had some more mostly skateboarding stickers made because uh, i just about ran out of the old ones uh but like the last time i don't really know what i'm going to do with them i sent some out to the homies of course but uh I, i'm not sure how we're gonna work out how you listener can get some stickers but i definitely want to get some stickers to you listeners so stay tuned for that that's it for our show this week. Be sure to check out MostlySkateboarding.net for links to the things that we talked about and other show notes. Until next time, you can keep up with us all week online. Mike, where can the people find you? 
I'm on both Twitter and Instagram at M Munzenrider. Patrick, where are you? Find me on Twitter at Colonel K Speaks, Instagram and Clubhouse at P Kigongo. Templeton, where can the people find you on Bobby Digital's internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Mostly Skate and on Instagram at Mostly Skateboarding. See you guys next week. Later. <laughs>